You're listening to the Week Ahead podcast from Strong Towns, hosted by me, Rachel Quedno. This is your chance to catch up on the latest events and goings-on behind the scenes of the Strong Towns organization. Tune in every Monday for more updates. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Rachel, and we're going to do something a little different today. Instead of the Week Ahead podcast, I've got the audio for you from a live webcast that we recorded this morning. It is the championship round of the Strongest Town Contest, and Kia and I hosted it with representatives from the two final towns, Muskegon, Michigan, and Kent, Ohio. Give it a listen, and then vote for the strongest at strongtowns.org slash strongesttown. You'll also find the video there if you're interested in watching that. Voting closes this Friday at 12 p.m. Central. Okay, here's the audio. Enjoy. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the championship round of our 2018 Strongest Towns contest. I'm Kia Wilson, Director of Community Engagement for Strong Towns, and I'm joined today by my fabulous colleague, Rachel Quednow, our Communications Director. And we are here today to kick off our final round of the Strongest Towns contests. I want to give first a huge congratulations to the two towns that have made it this far, Muskegon, Michigan, um, maybe Muskegon could wave there, and Kent, Ohio. Today we have representatives from those towns with us and they will be responding to some questions that Rachel and I have uh, formulated for them that will pin down their financial resilience in their communities. At the end of the webcast, we're gonna invite you, our viewers, to vote on which towns you think are the strongest and deserve this title and the fabulous prize of a visit from our president, Chuck Marone, live in person. You can vote by visiting strongtowns.org slash strongest town to vote, or if you're watching this live on the website, go ahead and vote via the form right below this video. So let's do some introductions. Joining me today from Muskegon, I have Cindy Larson, president of the Muskegon Lakeshore Chamber of Commerce and Frank Peterson, city manager of Muskegon. Welcome, Cindy and Frank. Thanks for having us. This is exciting. Our pleasure. And from Kent, Ohio, we have Dave Ruler. Am I pronouncing your name right, Dave? It's Dave Roller, but that's okay. Roller, glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everyone will hear it well. And he is the city manager of Kent, Ohio. Welcome, Dave. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. So we're going to kick things off with just a few introductory questions to both towns. We're going to give you some ground rules. Each of you can take up to two minutes to answer them. And Muskegon folks, that I guess means one minute each, unless you are trading duties today. Um, And then we'll get into some specific questions of each town. If you're a member of the Strong Towns movement, go to strongtowns.org slash membership if you don't know what that means. A lot of these will feel familiar to you. It's about figuring out how... um, in touch with the Strong Towns approach these towns really are. So mm-hmm. just to start us off, um, tell us both towns, let's start with, I see Kent on my left here, so Dave, if you could kick us off, what makes your community unique? What sets it apart from all the other towns in this contest? Well, in two minutes, right, I'm going to answer that one, but uh, <laughs> you know, obviously we have a, this wonderful university here in, in Kent, and we're still a small town. You, you have this wonderful diversity here, and I think in most of the materials that we've shared with the strong towns, and frankly, the, the work we've tried to do in our downtown is to sort of showcase the people. Uh, Kent's very much a, a people-scaled community. And so we, we want to create that natural habitat where all these interesting, diverse people from around the world can kind of hang out and people watch and intermingle and mix. And, you know, selfishly, we think that's also where entrepreneurism happens 
and new ideas and, and sort of pioneering efforts are spawned in that natural habitat, for lack of a better phrase. But so for us, it's our people. It's really this wild, wacky town with blue-haired, green-haired spikes, senior citizens. We got everything all mixed into this great little downtown. Yeah, I was telling y'all before the webcast that I knew a lot of friends who went to Kent State University. I know that blue hair well, and mm -hmm. I appreciate the way you're talking about um, your town as a natural habitat. We have a great article on our site from Daniel Herridge's about how um, we need to be the conservation biologists of cities. So that metaphor should be very familiar to our readers. Let's do the same question to Muskegon. What makes your community unique and what sets you apart from the rest of the Sweet 16? Yeah. I'm I would say I kind of agree with that idea that, that we offer a, a very diverse community. And I would say that, you know, um, not just in terms of diverse, you know, types of people and, you know, diverse income levels and stuff like that, but our, our whole community is diverse. We have, we have waterfront living and urban living, and we have really cool neighborhoods where you might be able to see, you know, grandma and grandpa living in the same neighborhood as, a, you know, as, as, as their children or their, or their grandkids. Um, we also have a very diverse economy, you know, where we're not relying on the auto industry or the aerospace industry or healthcare, but we're relying on on all of them, you know, to come kind of come together and, and, and build a strong community. But I would say, um, you know, aside from that, we have a number of uh, cultural amenities that a community our size just typically doesn't have. So we have a symphony and we have a world-renowned art museum and, and we have a number of museums that are downtown. Um, and and I think that that diversity where you can, um, during the day, you can go to the art museum, um, and in the evening, you can go to a professional soccer game, or an indoor football game, or uh, or um, SHL hockey game, um, all within a block of each other, and stop at a brewery on the way. I think that that demonstrates that you know that the the appeal of our community to you know a number of different people, whether they're just visiting or they're choosing to live here. Sounds good. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask is. What is maybe pick like one major development or investment that's on the horizon in your community? And we'll, we'll go back and start with Kent again and talk about how you've really planned that investment in a way that ensures that it's going to be financially viable over the long term and really contribute value to your community. You're back to Kent then? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I wasn't sure. So, you know, <laughs> we just finished 140 million downtown redevelopment. So, Okay. Um, yeah, that was enormous for us. So I don't think I have one quite of that scale, but um, the way our town is configured, the front edge of campus is also Main Street, Kent, and it's about a quarter mile from the downtown. But the actual Main Street section is kind of that old school, you know, suicide lane, turning movements, all that stuff that you guys frankly talk about as being something that needs to go away. Right. This. Uh, great streets. And, and so we are in the process right now of partnering with Kent State to, to transform that corridor. So it's not a super long corridor, but it's a gateway into the downtown. It's the front porch of campus. Um, so it's going to be heavily green. It's going to take advantage of all the things that, that certainly we, uh, we all share a desire to see more of the biking, pedestrian safety, aesthetics, just kind of that green uh, livability, frankly. And we've got neighborhoods on the other side. So there's all these sort of um, points that come together, uh, and I, if my city engineer was here, he would also kick me if I didn't say something about traffic safety, traffic congestion, because that's also a part of what we're, we're going to work with here. So we have, we've partnered with Kent State, and we've got um, a neighborhood groups, we've got Kent State groups, 
sort of stakeholder teams. That was the formula we used for downtown. Um, you know, it's it's not rocket science. It's just a lot of work, right? And and so financially, we're lining up the grant funding. We've got partnership again because I think I've said in my, my the podcast last week that Ken is not a wealthy community. We are a blue collar. We got to be really smart with what we got because we don't have a lot of it sitting in a bank, and we and we look hard for partners. So we've got the business district partners. We've got Kent State partners. Ohio Department of Transportation has been a great partner. You know, if we're lucky enough to get some additional federal funding, that would be great too. But um, yeah, so, so for us, that project will sort of roll out. It's going to start this this coming year, uh, the first phase of it. So we're really excited, but I think we've got the pieces we need. It's it's probably going to be a you know a thirty forty forty million dollar project, which is still pretty significant for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friends in Muskegon, can you tell us about a project that's on the horizon for you guys, and how you're really making sure that it's going to be a valuable investment for your community? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'll um, sort of answer the question. I'm taking that question. Um, well, we're really celebrating a whole bunch of investments right now. It's a billion dollars worth of investment that are taking place in our community. And so that's just unbelievable to us. Even just, we always say billion with a B because people don't even believe it. Um, but there's two probably big things. One we did had nothing to do with he and I, and that's our hospital. Thank goodness is reinvesting and building a brand new healthcare center. But one that fits more of the strong towns, I think, is that we advocated for our community college to bring, uh, have a large presence in our downtown because uh, they were out on the edge, a great community college, but they did not have a presence downtown. And now, so that was really strategic. It was actually the old newspaper building, which, of course, they didn't need the big building anymore. So now they actually have um, a a fab lab in there. It's a lot of technology training. It's going to be entrepreneur training, which is also that sustainability piece because we need to keep reinventing our community uh, in terms of the business community. So I think that one fits the most. Um, I think uh, we had already gotten a, a culinary school in our downtown, which fit with the farmer's market. So we have been trying to be strategic about those investments. Um, and of course, I think the ones I've named are the are the private and the quasi-public um, investments. Um, and hopefully in another question, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about the, what the city has done to invest in that infrastructure and the streets and so on and so forth. But uh, so it's been a lot of stuff here in Muskegon, so it's hard to, to kind of limit to one there. Yeah. So I'm going to mix it up to keep you on, the, on your toes and give Muskegon first crack at this question. Um, what are some incremental small-scale actions taking place in your town that are making it stronger? Yeah, so um, we've, we've put, a, I guess, a big, a big focus on um, quality of life. So credit to our city commissioners who kind of made, identified these seven tenets of improving quality of life will improve the community. And, you know, we won't have to get into all of them. But one of the things that was really important to them were, were low-cost ways to activate spaces in town. And so you've seen us take vacant lots in our downtown and turn them into volleyball, beach volleyball courts, for example. Um, you've seen us add things like the Western Market, where we where we added, um, we did, I think, 11 pop-up shops last year that were really popular. We added five more this year. Low-cost ways to get people downtown, get people out of the house, um, give entrepreneurs a chance to make a couple bucks here and there and just kind of test out their projects. But we've done a number of those small ones there like that. And one of the ones that I'm most excited about from an incremental standpoint is we went through and, and um, we, we um, changed our zoning code 
um, over the last year and a half. And we've looked at um, how we can allow people to do more stuff on smaller lots. So we've reduced our setbacks. We've changed our minimum lot size to, to much smaller. And, and we're seeing people now, instead of having you know, a lot on a corner that's considered unbuildable, which essentially becomes you know a drain on our community, now we're starting to see um, the idea that houses are being built on them and other developments are taking place on these otherwise uh, unbuildable, unusable lots that, you know, when we were maybe not as far as we are today, when we made changes, say, in the 1960s and 50s and thought everybody had to have 50 feet of frontage and, you know, in room for a two-car garage, you know, we'd kind of look at that and say that you know, those are negatives to our community in the long term. And so we've made some incremental changes and and um and now we're seeing that people are investing in those areas so we try to do some small low-cost things to get people involved you know we've um we've relaxed our food truck law so pretty much you can put a food truck any place you want you know there's no more has to be so far from a from a brick and mortar you know we want them to coexist and we want we want these entrepreneurs to come downtown demonstrate to people that that there's things to do down here. And then hopefully they'll end up with a incremental growth, which goes from a truck to a building, you know, and, and ultimately a, you know, a 50 year commitment to Muskegon. Yeah. I'm excited to talk later in the conversation about the way that you guys are developing business um, incrementally through those various stages. But for now, let's kick it to Kent. What are some incremental steps that you are taking um, to make it stronger? Yeah, no, that was a, I love those comments from Muskegon, actually, because those are very much the similar things that we're doing. So it's kind of encouraging to hear that. I mean, one of our favorites is probably we created a downtown park, a pocket park, um, and that was one that was unexpected. We, our economic development director in town had a, he's a long-term guy, and unfortunately he died, passed away of cancer in the middle of our downtown transformation, and he was instrumental in getting the project going. So the community rallied around that cause and wanted to do something special for him. And there was some space, some concrete space left in our downtown and the community fully funded it on their own. They did a, a crowdfunding, the city put in some money, but the majority of the money was all paid for from uh, you know people just living here and wanted to have a, a sort of a green space downtown to honor Dan and Dan was a musician. So there's lots of festival type activities that go on there. So that was a nice little piece. Um, we are also, what, much like what you guys described in Muskegon, we're in the process right now updating our comprehensive plan and looking at our zoning code and doing all those similar kind of things that are described there. Because look, we had this wonderful transformation over the last 10 years, which is about how long, well, it's even 15, 20 years now, I've come to think of it in terms of our comprehensive plan update. So it's time to, to revisit that because things have changed so dramatically here. We, we really are focusing very much on neighborhoods. We have a neighborhood enrichment program um, we are doing some better block projects in, in a part of our downtown, which we're really excited about. Hopefully later this year, we, we've got a first uh, sort of organizational meeting going on this week, and we had a wonderful response, all kinds of people showing up. So, um, you know, from parks to the livability issues, we said from the start, the downtown project was meant to be a platform for us. It wasn't an endpoint. It was giving us the ability, mainly the resources, to do the stuff in neighborhoods, to do the stuff with human services. We have a lot of human service programming here, a lot of people in need and poverty. So um, we're really proud of those things. And, uh, and I, you know, when you don't have a ton of money, incremental makes a big difference, so. Absolutely. Um, so now we're gonna go into some questions from what we call the Strongtown Strength Test, which is just a list of kind of simple 
ways that we have come up with to um, just probe at the the strength of a community and what sort of um, flexible options are available there to do these sorts of small scale incremental um, growth. So um, let's do this a little bit quicker. Just like take a second to think about the the question and then um, give like a brief answer here. So let's start with uh, Kent. Our let's see. My question is: Imagine your favorite street in town didn't exist. Could it be built today if the construction had to follow your local rules? And yeah, let's start with Kent. Yeah, any market set go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the answer is yes. And I, in thinking about that question, when you guys sort of mentioned that maybe one of them, we're actually much happier today. It'd be much easier to build it today than it would have been ten years ago. So hmm. um, I think we're. We're sort of true believers, and uh, I, all the stuff I talked about on Main Street is trying to replicate the stuff that was done downtown. So all the hike and bike trails, pedestrian activity, uh, protections, and um, and frankly, the aesthetic quality. Uh, we're very much, as a relatively uh, less resource community, we haven't had the ability historically to throw money at projects, but to make them look better and from the aesthetic point of view but slowly we've been able to incrementally do some of that and boy does that stuff make a difference and investment begets investment and as we kind of raise the standard raise the bar on the infrastructure the neighbors are raising the bar on their property so yes today you would have much better success building that road than you would have 10 years ago yeah uh, all right, our friends in Muskegon, if your favorite town didn't exist, could it be built today if construction had to follow local rules? I would, I would take it a step forward and say not only could it exist, it would have to. Um, we adopted a form-based code about four or five years ago, and um, especially in our core downtown area, there's a number of context areas, but the, in the core downtown area, which, is, which happens to be one, one of my favorite streets, is um, all those things that exist there now, they have to be there. So there has to be a mix of uses. There has to be multiple stories there. There can't be too much parking. So I'll be put all these rules in place to make sure that when it does get rebuilt, you know, if it ever had to be rebuilt, it would be rebuilt in a way um, that makes sense for, you know, for downtown. So not only I would say, could it, it would, it would absolutely have to, be. you know, in the scale that's included in that form-based code requires doors to be so close to one another, um, glass to be transparent, you know, all the things that maybe come in as fads and go away, like mirror glass and, you know, big giant buildings or whatever, they, they can't happen in our, in our downtown anymore. And so there's a worry. There's doesn't have to be worried about whether or not things could be could be rebuilt. The question is, um, you know, will they? Because um, they would have to be rebuilt in that in that manner um, anyway. Got it. So let's go back to Kent with another quick fire question. Um, if there were a revolution in your town tonight um would everyone in your town instinctively know where to gather to participate and feel free to tell me where it would be yeah you know i think that's a great question particularly you know kent has a little history back in 1970 with a traumatic event um Absolutely. and it's very different today very much what we we tried to create was sort of taking down barriers both physical barriers barriers cultural barriers social barriers between campus and our community many of which were set on a certain path way back in 1970. And I think more than anything, that healing process, we've been able to demonstrate how physical transformation can begin a, a, a different social transformation as well. And so the answer would be, I think historically you would have said in 1970, uh, university folks would have been on campus somewhere and the town folks would have been downtown or somewhere. I think now, honestly, it would all be 
in the downtown proper. Um, I think there is, we've created the great lawn space is what we call it, which is really where it used to be a penitentiary style fencing separating the two, the town and the gown. Now it's this great lawn. It's a welcoming area. So I think that's where people would show up. Yeah. Awesome. Muskegon, same question. Um, if the citizens of Muskegon got the call that the revolution was on, where would they go and would they all know where to go? Well, uh, yeah, we're thinking that they would go to Hackley Park. This is one of our, like our park square and a historic park. And just a couple of years ago, we actually put a little stage in there. And it is though where we do the lighting of the Christmas tree at the holiday. It is where we have our Friday parks and anybody who and creates a festival and puts it in that park, it's always successful. Um, so it is your traditional park square. Um, and we're so happy that here, what, 125 years later, it still is a gathering place uh, for our community. However, um, the, the Civil War gold is not in that park, just so you know. Um, we've been on the history <laughs> channel all, all month. They've been searching for gold, and for some reason, the history channel came to this park. Um, and the clues were in the park. Uh, so anyway, it was pretty, it, we think it's pretty funny around here, but it is really a really cool space. And it is meant, like I said, people have been going there for 125 years and hopefully they'll go there for another 125. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay, our next strength test question and let's go Muskegon up to start this one. In your town, is it safe for children to walk or bike to school and other activities that they'd be doing without adult supervision? Yeah, I, I would say by and large, depending on the, the age, right? You know, it might not say mm -hmm. my five-year-old, but maybe my 10-year-old um, to do it yeah. you know, differently. But I would say we have a, you know, from a from a pedestrian safety standpoint, we have a pretty predictable street grid. You know, we have a very you know, old school, traditional, our, our city's laid out in, in a street grid. You know, there's four-way stops and some there's two-way stops, but traffic stops at every single intersection one way or the other for the most part. Um, so it's very easy for the kids to get back and forth across the streets and things like that. And also our community was built with, with like say neighborhood schools. So we do have a number of um, neighborhoods that have schools, you know, rated, you know, rated neighborhoods. But um, I would say from a walkability standpoint, there's sidewalks on every single street. The, the street patterns are set up in a way to where there's not one street that's got 6,000 cars on it. It's more like six streets that each have a thousand cars on it. Much mm -hmm. easier um, from a neighborhood standpoint to get kids to and from um, without, a, without a parent around. Got it. Uh, what about Kent? Is it safe for kids to walk or bike to school or other activities on their own? Yeah, I think the, the way the answer is very similar to how Muskegon did. There are neighborhood schools that absolutely that is perfect, right? There's no issues there. Um, we're a fairly dense community, not a lot of square miles, so it's not far for any particular kid the only issue would be those areas where you got to cross a couple busy streets and those are areas we're trying to you know fix and make them uh, narrow narrow the street width down making sure we have the proper protections we got all the signage that you would imagine uh, i know our walk score has we've been really proud our walk score continues to go up we're in the 90s now so um we're proud of it but i i would say we it's a thing that we need to continue to work on i know my city engineer and i talk about it and uh, I know whenever he gets a chance, he had a project last, a street project last year that it was in an area where this made a lot of sense. And they did some changes, some reconfiguration there kind of on their own without being told to do so, just because this has become an issue. They, you know, all the way through the rank and file, we're kind of like tuned into, it's on our radar screen now, pedestrian safety. So yes, for the majority of the neighborhood schools, but we've got work to do in some areas too. 
Thank you so much. And I really want to applaud both towns for being honest about where is that you're not completely acing every item of the strength test because being a strong town is a process. I want to encourage you to continue to be honest um, and also say what you're doing to address those things because that's part of being a strong town too. Strong town too. Um, so in that spirit, I'm going to go to Muskegon uh, with our last question from the strength test. In your town, are there neighborhoods where three generations of a family, that's grandma, mom and dad, and a baby could reasonably find a place to live all within walking distance of one another. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but say more. Well, I wanted to answer that one because we're super excited that we're actually getting um, housing for millennials is opening up in a couple of months. So we have these um, an old bank building that's been turned into these cool apartments because uh, I think that was missing. Um, we had um, definitely these beautiful neighborhoods for families to live. Um, now we also have a little bit more for seniors and they're very interested. Uh, I, we're noticing both both groups, the millennials and the seniors are moving back into the downtown because it is walkable and they can get you know to all of these places. Uh, but that still core family neighborhood exists as well. So now I'm saying that it's back to the downtown where all three generations or four generations could could live in Muskegon. That's exciting. Fantastic. What about you, Kent, Ohio? Is your town um, equipped to handle three generations and put them all within walking distance of one another? Yeah, absolutely. And particularly the areas, you know, around the periphery of the downtown is where those markets are most hot, I would say. Mm. Uh, we're also the beneficiary. You know, a lot of seniors want to be in a college town and there's uh, Kent State is even working with the city to create sort of de designated housing that would attract seniors that would allow them to take classes that would allow them to go to the sporting events the cultural events and they want to do that in a place that's close to downtown and close to campus so we're seeing sort of this ring around our downtown of really gaining popularity i know the mortgage guys love it they talk about the houses don't even really walk for sale anymore people know somebody and they buy those we don't have a lot of sort of classic suburban track housing most of our housing it is older housing stock that now we're seeing being reinvested in, kind of coming back. Um, so the mixing has been there for a long time, honestly, and that's good and bad. The great part, obviously, brings sort of this cultural mixing. The downside is when having students living next door to a senior citizen, sometimes there's late night issues that are uh, a little more challenging for us to deal with. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so now we wanted to go into some specific questions based on your guys' applications. Um, I know we've we talked about a lot of these in our last round of podcasts, but just a few things that we wanted to kind of follow up on and highlight. So um, for Muskegon, you guys have made some really great strides, it sounds like, towards filling in the empty spaces in your downtown with things like pop-up shops. Um, what is your long-term plan for making, continuing to make better use of that space in your city that is left vacant or that is surface parking that maybe doesn't need to be um, used so much as parking anymore? Um, yeah, how are you, what are your long-term plans for keeping, keeping investing um, and filling those vacant spaces? Yeah, sure. So we've got a, actually we have a number of plans, including a parking plan that calls for the elimination of something like 5,000 parking spaces downtown because we recognize that we probably just have too much um, and it makes it too easy for people to um, feel like they have to drive from one block to the next almost um, and feel like entitled or obligated to do that. Um, mm -hmm. But for filling up those, those smaller spaces, again, we, we look at this idea that, that retail is changing, right? And, and um, you want to have um, low cost, 
ways for people to do unique things. So whether it's those pop-up shops or investing in the farmer's market or Kitchen 242, which is a commercial kitchen we have downtown to kind of get, um, you know, food-based entrepreneurship um, moving in the community. But the, the whole goal is to have, have low-cost ways for people to come downtown and either A, make a living or, you know, or spend dollars. And, and we kind of like to follow that model where, you know, you, you would think that, you know, residential kind of, you know, pushes the retail. Um, but then again, the entertainment pushes the residential. So we recognize that there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, um, a cyclical pattern there. So everything that we can do to make people entertained downtown, right, whether they're, it's playing volleyball on a, you know, on, on a vacancy lot or playing, playing beach soccer on a vacancy lot or having places to sit and enjoy yourself, um, each one of our plans, um, you know, they require um, outdoor space. So, for example, whereas if you were to look at us five years ago, you would have saw no outdoor seating in restaurants. Now we practically require that the restaurants have outdoor seating because we want people to feel the street alive. And so little things that we do on our vacant lots, um, it's all focused on making the street feel alive so that when, say, developer A, B, or C comes walking down the street on a Tuesday afternoon, he's, he or she can make a, make a decision, right? If, is it worth investing in there? And then at the same time, we've had the entrepreneurs um, um, testing the market and deciding, you know, can I make enough money down here to justify going into one of those storefronts that we know is going to be expensive because the cost of building is expensive. So we are down to our last three questions before we open up the voting, but um, this one is for Kent, Ohio. Tell us a little bit about, um, for people who haven't heard it, your recent downtown revitalization project. How was that paid for and how are you ensuring that your efforts will have a long-term positive financial impact for the community? Okay. And a short, that's a tough one to do short, yeah. but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, so the downtown was very much an underperforming college downtown. Um, it, it sort of got stuck in 1980 and not much had changed. And, uh, you know, the students didn't necessarily engage much in it other than the hours of 11 PM to 3 AM and the down and the community didn't engage all that much in, in the daytime. So, it was, it was time for something to change with our downtown because much like the nation, we were entering the, you know, the year 2007, seeing our, our revenue starting to dip. The Great Recession is making its way into our area of the country too. And so we were pretty challenged financially. And we decided to, uh, you know, we weren't gonna go down without a fight, really. We had a certain amount of reserves left in the bank and we convinced council to, to really kind of rally around the future. And uh, that sounds great now in hindsight, but we, you know, we had, we jumped in with both feet. We were a lot of sleepless nights, but we were able to basically layer our funding. We had, I think, 18 different funding sources that were involved, everything that the cities can typically do with incentive packages and TIFs and the things like that. But uh, we were able to tap in a lot of federal funding. We were the first Tiger Grant awarded in Ohio, um, which helped us build our, our, our pedestrian parking transit facility downtown, which was pretty critical. Um, we had private funding, we had foundation funding, we had environmental funding. I mean, I won't go through the full list, but uh, I, if there's anything I'm proud of, it's the ability to sort of braid what we call braiding our funding, this layered funding approach. Because again, we are not a wealthy community. We visited a lot of great communities around us and we said, man, we love your downtown. And they had these wonderful reserves sitting in the banks that they, that they were able to use to make that happen. So we had to be a little different. We had, I think if nothing else, one of the things that's fun about the Kent story 
is that it can happen to any community. You do not have to be a wealthy community to pull something transformative off like we've been able to do. So I hope that's a message people will walk away from Kent with. Yeah. Got it. Um, back to Muskegon. You guys have talked about in your application that your town is a, a stop for some cruise ship lines. And I was curious, um, are, do most residents feel positively about that? And um, how, do you, how do you plan to turn that temporary influx of people um, into a long-term benefit for the community, if you are thinking along those lines? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that's different about the Great Lakes cruises than on the East Coast is our cruise ships are actually small. Um, they're about 200 passengers, and, and the biggest we'll ever get is 400. So I know in talking to cities on the coast, they're like, whoa, we don't really want 2,000 people. I mean, it overwhelms the little town. But for mm -hmm. us, it's really just right. Um, and we, ha we have about 10 stops this next summer, but there are more ships coming to the Great Lakes as they're discovering this is a great place to cruise in the summer. So what? hopefully um, it, it'll create a, a summer schedule that really fits the downtown. And, and if we can get a ship in you know, every couple of days, um, that would really be great. But most of it, our downtown loves it because we love the water and we love to celebrate the water. Uh, just like we have the Cross Lake Ferry that comes from Milwaukee every single day in the summer, well, three times a day. Um, it just is, it's just part of our transportation uh, infrastructure. And so with something as um, Michigan, we want to keep people thinking that water is another way to um, get transportation. And that's something in the United States we really don't think about as much as they do in Europe and other countries. But it's great if you can uh, get someplace via the water. Uh, so that is something that we're promoting, and I think the cruise ship industry is really embracing that. And the interesting thing is these people on these cruise ships are from Texas, Alabama, Arizona, you know, Kansas. They've never even been to the Great Lakes and are just discovering how special they are and unique they are and um, how cool it is to, to be from the Great Lakes. So uh, we're, we're really having a good time with it. The community's really embraced it. Yeah. Well, and you and many people watching probably know pretty well that last year Traverse City ran away with the title. So there is a history of Michigan towns that celebrate that lake um, coming away with it all. Another big trend in our contest has been university towns. And that brings me to my question for Kent. Um, what sorts of benefits and challenges come with being a college town? How does your town work to ensure that the needs of the students and the university at the university, as well as the needs of long-term residents are met and work together to make your community more prosperous? Yeah, great question. Ton of work, a lot of yeah. work. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that makes Kent so special is that mix and the thing that makes Kent so challenging is that mix. So right. it is the, uh, if you can get it right, it is a wonderful asset that few communities can replicate. And I suspect that's very much why Muskegon was so excited to get a community college there. It's, it is, there's something about college towns that the energy, the vibrancy, the, the desire to be progressive, the, the value of the sort of academic mix. And in particular, if you watch kind of the national narrative on, on education and you're really seeing a lot more push to use these educational institutions to be engines of economic progress too. I mean, they're, uh, Kent State just finished their economic impact study and it's a 2.4 billion, that's like the Muskegon, it's with a B, wow. uh, $2.4 billion regional impact in, in Northeast Ohio. And much of that obviously is centered on the main campus here in Kent. So 
got this wonderful opportunity to really have something special. And, and I very much like Muskegon, we've got cultural arts and international presence that you would never expect in a small town in, in middle of Ohio, right? I mean, you just get this wonderful sports programs, their baseball programs, top 25 in the country. The basketball program is always right in and out of the, uh, of the NCAA tournament. And, and you get that in a place where you literally can show up for the game, you know, 10 minutes before the game and still find a seat and get in without lines of traffic. I mean, so the quality of life can be really special here if you manage all those things that you've mentioned in there as well. So we spend a lot of time in neighborhoods, a lot of time with neighborhood protection, quality of life initiatives, things that we can do. We got a lot of public art programming that we're we're working to kind of pop up art and, and use it in innovative ways and kind of build that fabric, the cultural fabric to really integrate these wonderful arts resources on campus into the community. Uh, we've got Makerspace. I heard them say they're fab lab and we've got stuff like that right now coming out of, the, out of campus. So it, it's kind of great to hear the parallels between our two communities because I think you're onto something there. And I, it's a best practice that clearly both of our communities have benefited from. Fantastic. So we are wrapping up here, but I wanted to give both of you guys uh, a chance to just add any closing thoughts. If you want to just briefly, um, you know, say anything that we didn't talk about or just any closing statement here. So let's go Muskegon first. Well, yeah, so that's when Frank points at me, that closing thing. No, really, um, we are just <laughs> excited to be part of this process. It has been really fun for our community. Um, it's been fun for us to be able to celebrate what's happened in Muskegon and that we have a team, you know, and it's not all the time that you see the chamber and the city manager uh, sitting together trying to cheerlead for each other. And we are really fortunate to have that team here in Muskegon. And to your point, Strong, to Strong Towns is trying to take that out to the community. So it isn't just a top down. We're trying to engage everybody so that everybody feels like they're part of Muskegon's transformation and part of Muskegon's success. Because I think we've learned um, over the years that that is what's sustainable is when the residents are the ones taking care of the community, picking up the litter, planting the flowers, you know, and, and singing the praises of their community. That's when it's really sustainable. Great. And Kent, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I would just say, like like Muskegon, thank you very much for, for being such an advocate for sort of these leading edge urban design principles. And because candidly, I told this to Chuck in the podcast, and we steal your ideas all the time. And I'm probably going to steal a couple of Muskegons here as well. So, you know, regardless of the outcome of the vote, I mean, there are, I think there are two winners here. I'm, I'm absolutely flattered to be in the same conversation as these guys. They do some great work up there, even though they are in Michigan. Uh, we'll um, we're really proud just to be in the conversation. This is not a place that Ken has normally found itself. It's, it's kind of always been a community that wanted more and just had a hard time getting it. And we're just really proud to be on the spot to help organize this community and, and give them rallying cry for their, for their own sort of community pride. And uh, as I say, the vote, Hey, I hope you vote for us, but you know what, in the end, I'm, we're really delighted to have been a part of this process and, uh, and thank you very much for, you know, it's kind of being a sponsor of it. 
Well, thank you both. As an Ohioan with Michigan roots, this is much friendlier than the typical Michigan versus Ohio conversation. And I'm so glad that we could have Dave from Kent and Frank and Cindy from Muskegon here to share some wisdom about how their towns got so strong, regardless of the outcome of the vote. I think you're absolutely right that lots of towns will learn from you. Um, so to vote in for your favorites in the Strongest Town contest, just remember to visit strongtowns.org slash strongest town or use the form, I'm told, which is right below my face on the website. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great day. Happy voting. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.